copy. Oh, I've got this. That's my second. That's my second cup. That's why sometimes, occasionally, you find a non a non drunk cup of coffee. Alright. Hey everybody, this is Tyler Murphy and you're listening to the Lonely Painter Podcast. And uh, I'm just uh, sitting here in the recliner reporting to you live from the recliner the living room part of my house and my roommate Josh is over there he's making a cup of coffee he just uh, woke up and walked out here right as I was about to start and I thought maybe he'd want to be part of this little podcast episode this morning Um, so he's going to make himself a little cup of coffee and then join us here in a sec I am drinking an Ethiopian what does it say on that bag there. Uh, Ethiopian washed Guji. Drinking an Ethiopian washed Guji. Is that what you're having? Mm, I think I'm going to have an Indonesia. Josh is going to have an Indonesia. And um, anyways, uh, this morning I thought I would talk a little bit. I do want to talk about art at some point on this podcast. Um, I actually went out painting yesterday for the first time in a long time. And that was, which is stupid of me because it's been incredibly nice weather through this winter here in Red, er, here in Billings, and I really should have been taking advantage of the nice weather um, a lot sooner. So uh, between now and next month, I plan on doing a lot of outdoor painting, a lot more uh, working on a whole bunch of new work to have ready for the February 1st art walk in Billings. And then I think I'm going to try to do a, a solo show, um, sometime mid February. And I think I'm going to call it portal. I I've, I've thought maybe of having it be a, a, uh, a group show though too. So I'm not sure what, what I'm going to do yet. Uh, but anyways, I, uh, have kind of been thinking a little bit this morning about the philosopher Hegel. I haven't read any of Hegel directly. Apparently he's really hard to comprehend. But really as I've been uh, doing this podcast, emailing back and forth with different friends, I think that I'm coming to understand the truth of, of at least what I've heard about Hegel anyways or his, kind of his position, that which he calls the dialectic, which is um, basically that you posit one theory, so you have one thesis, and then you have a, somebody else that comes along and questions that, posits the antithesis, and then a third person or the original position is then able to respond, and you get from... From the two positions, you get a third position, which could be called the synthesis, which then itself acts like the first thesis, which then the antithesis of this of the new synthesis, you know, can be uh, formed, and then a new synthesis can can be created. So basically, it, it is just kind of this ongoing dialogue, where, you know, how do you get to know the truth? It's 
it's it is this conversation it's a jumping into it's you guys listening to you know my crazy ideas and then finding the weak spots in it and emailing in and saying well i i think that you're missing this side tyler and then and then i'm able to reflect on things so i'm getting a lot further down the road of understanding myself understanding uh what i believe understanding you know a little bit more about the world being pushed to to read uh and and try to back up some of the crazy things that i'm saying um but I, I don't know that I would get there if I didn't just jump into it and then let others speak into and poke at my claims. So that's kind of what I've been thinking about. The, this weekend I uh, was asked to talk or to uh, sit down and share at the church community that I go to. And I really like that that uh, that church community has decided to go to this model where kind of the head pastor, um, he speaks for a little bit, and then he is starting now to invite people up to also share their thoughts on on life and, and their own personal um, kind of wrestling with, with their beliefs. And I think it's really good that you have somebody who is who's the pastor who, who has spent a lot of time studying, say, the Bible or theology or philosophy, somebody that, that is further down the rabbit hole in pursuit of truth. But I think there's a lot of benefit for the community, for individuals within the community, when people are asked to, to also share for me, it pushes me then to try to answer his question, which was this question of how do we be present? You know, that's not the easiest question to to answer immediately. I think that the way that he put it was, what does it mean to you to be present? One of the main four core principles of the church is to be present, open, honest, and to be embodiment of love. So for him to ask me to come up and share, you know, that gets my... That gets my brain going like, okay, you know, I don't want to make a total fool of myself in front of all these people that I go to church with every week. I want to give them something uh, sincere and and give them, you know, my best, the, the best thoughts that I can round up uh, in answering that question. And I really like, you know, it was me this week, and next week it's going to be another person from the community that's asked a different question, and the next week somebody else. That's what I, that's what I really like in a community. That's why I think story night is so important. <clears throat> is that when I ask somebody to tell a story, they might you know get uh, nervous about it and may never tell a story, but it does change the way that they move through their life if they're starting to ask themselves the question of. What would I share to a room full of people? And, and just the very existence of Story Night poses that question to anyone who shows up. So last time there's 50 different people, or yeah, 50 people that showed up to the night, uh, same as the night before. I think I talked about that last week on the podcast. I was trying to figure out, I was trying to predict how many people would be there. And it is really cool that the last couple times it's been about 50 people. 
And so for those 50 people, I would say, as they're sitting there, only, you know, eight or 10 people share in a night, but all 50 have that uh, question kind of posed in their, in their head that, what would I share to this room full of people? And that's, I think, a, a great way to reflect on your life and to be. All right, Josh, what do you think of that nonsense? Did you hear? Well, did you hear me talking about some of that? Yeah, I heard over it a little bit. Yeah. Is a uh, is this all part of your elaborate scheme to get me to listen to your podcast? <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> But no, don't don't listen to my podcast because I want to. I want to. If you do, then you'll just hear me saying the same things that I say to you in real life. Oh, well, that's a good point, actually. You guys should definitely not listen to the podcast or yeah. this episode. Yeah, but you should definitely at least have conversations with me. Yeah, I should. That's a good point. <laughs> Instead, of always talking to your girlfriend. <laughs> well, I mean, priorities be priorities. Yeah. You know how they go. Yeah. I get uh, it. The, oh, also, I'm the first roommate to be on the podcast. Am I wrong? Um, no, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> what an honor. You're the, first, you're the first guest on the Lonely Painter podcast since I changed the Oh, name. that's a good point. Oh, I didn't even think about that. How do you feel about that? Do you feel the pressure? Well, it makes me feel like the podcast is suddenly less lonely. Yeah, yeah. So... That makes me feel pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mostly caught the tail end of you pointing out uh, what it's like to share in front of a group of people and the importance of that. And yeah, I think those are good points. So I've been I, I've been reading an overview of Hegel a little bit, and okay, uh, just listened to another podcast where they were they were talking about Hegel. The Hegel's phenomenology of spirit, I think. Mm. And basically he, at the beginning in the, uh, in the preface says like, you can't, uh, one should never write a preface, I think is. Mm. And yet, uh, I'll be just because... Uh, you know what? It's over my head. I can't. I don't know. I don't know it well enough. I, I tried to dive into talking about that. The the main thing though that I'm coming to understand about Hegel is his idea of the dialectic. Okay. That ba- basically, you know, like if I come to you and I and I have an idea uh, or or a claim, and then I share that with you, um, then you respond, mm-hmm. and then I, unless I'm totally bullheaded. Mm-hmm. Like hopefully I, we both move towards something more true together. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, it would that be different from like a traditional, not traditional necessarily, but would that be different from like you give an argument, someone gives a response, and then you give another response to their responses? Would that be different? I think that that's. Really similar. The same thing. Yeah, it's just an ongoing. So you get you have the thesis, the beginning claim. Mm -hmm. You have the antithesis, and then you have the synthesis. Okay. And the synthesis itself becomes the new thesis, which then so it's a kind of a never-ending 
um, it's a never ending process. And, and I yeah. find that that's especially like with a couple different friends that, that kind of email that we all email back and forth uh-huh. with, with different ideas and, and none of us agree completely <laughs> on anything like j- it, the very challenging of each other brings us all forward in or deeper into understanding mm. ourselves and, and the world. Hmm. Well, and I think that you'll come up with different ideas and present them in different ways when you know that someone that you'll tell it to could potentially critique it and not just like accept it immediately. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, that's a really great idea. Like, cause then you're not going to get, I, I mean, like not that that's a bad thing, but I think that you're more likely to have like a, a complete idea fleshed out before you take it to someone if you know that they're like potentially going to point out the holes in it. Yeah. Yeah. Did you feel that way um, presenting your ideas in front of your church community on what, what was it on again? On how to be present? Yeah. How to be present. Yeah. Well, I was thinking I was going to say one thing mm-hmm. uh, and then, and then I actually listened. So Matt told the story of Jonah and the whale. Mm-hmm. And then um, when he and I had met a few days earlier, I didn't really do a good job of, I, I didn't understand where he was, how he was linking that story to the idea of being present. Mm-hmm. So then when I actually heard him give it to the, uh, to the, in the service, mm-hmm. and I actually took notes and paid attention to the points that he was making, <laughs> then all of a sudden everything that I was planning on saying, it did it, like I completely shifted and moved uh, into a different <laughs> different direction so uh that's super interesting it's really interesting i think when a speaker gets up in front of a crowd and they either do this at the beginning or like the middle and they like reevaluate what they're gonna say and just improv it yeah and it's so interesting to me because they're obviously still pulling from like their knowledge and their experience but when they get up and say you know i was gonna talk about this but I'm not going to talk about that. Yeah. We're talking about this now. Yeah. Whether they attribute that to like the leading of the spirit or they attribute that to like the room or they feel like people should hear something else or. Yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about once you, like you can in your head be kind of certain that you understand something. And then once you actually start to verbally, process it and put it out there into the into the world something something shifts there and and somebody like at story night my favorite after after last story night we went out and got um had a couple drinks afterwards and a couple people were uh, talking about how their favorite stories weren't the ones uh, while while we all appreciated the the storytellers who were really good, who yeah. really had it nailed down, um, and and their story was clean and polished and like perfect end to end, kind of like a moth type story, I would imagine. The, a moth. The, uh, the moth storytelling thing. Oh, I've never heard about that. Oh, well, but I feel like I'll, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, just Where there's just like, like a good, yeah, yeah, just like perfected storytelling. Mm-hmm. Whereas. 
that what happens during the second half of story night typically is that a few people who weren't expecting to tell a story get up there and and share their story <clears throat> and then partway through as they're speaking they they come to realize mm. how to end the story really yeah <laughs> and and they they put together things in their own head that mm. that they wouldn't have they come to new conclusions that they wouldn't have come to had they not mm. stepped out in in some sort of a faith and gone you know, I don't know how, a lot of times they say, I don't know how this story ends, but I just feel that there was something hmm. uh, calling me to get up here and, and share. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. And th that's like the most powerful thing to see happen in, in front of all of us. It's just like the formation person. of a story. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. So hmm. anyways, all right. Well, that, that bit all aside. How are you doing, man? Good, good. I got to sleep in a little bit this morning, so that was that was a treat. Josh works at a, at a smoothie and sandwich shop or wrap salad wrap. Yeah, they were, yeah, you got pretty close. That was pretty good. I always call it like a juice bar cafe. I okay. think that's the closest. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, wraps and salads and. Okay. I'm a food maker. Uh, my official title is a certified veg head. So, no big deal. <laughs> but, but yeah, I worked there for over, I was just telling someone the other day, I worked there for like two years and like three or four months now. Uh -huh. And helped take over some of their social media stuff, improve that a little bit, train people, you know. Yeah. Can I get it on the podcast now that, will you take over the Montana Gallery Instagram? For me. Oh, I mean, I could. I was just thinking yeah. that this morning about I forgot since about I that. haven't even posted anything in like four weeks. Oh, really? Yeah. Can I pay you the sure. minimum amount? To minimum amount <laughs> to do that every week. Yeah, yeah. We'll just have to work out like what we want from that. I, but I think it's doable. We, we I, can we can talk about it more. Yeah, off, I think it's doable off the podcast. Yeah, but um, okay. What um. So you're working at this uh, juice bar, yeah. cafe. What what are you excited about in life these days? Um, I'm really excited about um, or what are you thinking about? What have I been thinking about? Yeah, it's interesting that you brought up like story formation because sometimes I feel like I have things mulling around in the back of my head and it's like not until like something happens that like threads it all together that I'm right. like, like, oh somebody, yeah, that's what I've been thinking about. Like somebody like, invites you onto a podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like someone invites me onto a podcast. I mean, I think I've, I've generically been thinking about the future and like what the next year is going to look like and whether that means um, like leaving a job or moving or relationships or I don't know. I've just like been thinking a lot about like what it means to transition and transition well, especially with like recently having some friends move pretty permanently, um, and then like friends from out of town visiting for like a couple days, um, and just like being reminded like I, I think it's so easy for me to get ingrained in the things that I do because I have like so many consistent things that I'm involved in that sometimes it takes 
like someone to remind me, like, oh yeah, it is a possibility to not be involved in these things. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it is a. Oh yeah, I could just move. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, dude, that's exactly some of the stuff I've been talking about on the podcast. Oh, really? Is well, Sartre and being precedes essence, and Ooh. the idea that like your your path isn't set, and or mm. your identity is not reducible to one thing, mm. and so. Yeah, which is nuts to think about. Yeah. It, but it's only kind of after we make a move out of something that we thought was just a given in our lives that we'd look yeah. back and go, crap, I could have done that at any time. Yeah, totally. Well, yeah, okay, so this is really interesting. I, I've, I've been, like, thinking about, like, what it would mean for me to move from Billings and, like, what things I would end up leaving that I've, like, been a part of for years. Mm-hmm. Um. And that that's significant and that I need, that I should acknowledge that and process that, like what it means to leave those things. Um, and so I can like look at all the things I do like individually and be like, oh yeah, I've, I'm ready to move on from that. And then like look at the next thing and be like, yeah, oh yeah, I'm, I'm ready to move on from that. And look at the next thing and be like, yeah, I, I, yeah, the next couple months I think I could, I could see myself leaving this. Uh-huh. And then like, but once I look at the whole picture like leaving Billings and leaving all these things, then I still feel daunted. I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm leaving all of it at once if I do it. Is the, um, not that we have to go into this, but is, is the is the uh, question to maybe move to like Seattle or mm-hmm. something? Yeah, okay. yeah, that's, that's what right. I'm thinking about. Okay. Like, yeah. And like what it would look like and when it would look like and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's not wanting to move back? I mean, yes and no, but her job is, like, good enough to stay for. Okay. So, it, it makes sense in several ways. In the same way that I think moving back makes sense in several ways, but I think what it comes down to is, like, making a decision either way. But also, like, being prepared for whatever decision comes, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, I really liked your point about like not being reducible to any like one thing and it being so common for us to be identified with the things we do. And I feel like that's so true for me, for like other people and for myself. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, he does these things and mm-hmm. which is like, it's true. Right. And that's important. I remember one time at philosophy, we were talking about uh, the importance of names and labels. And I brought up the idea that I think that the best, like it's hard for me to like identify with certain labels, like group labels, like whether it's like religious or political or uh, like, and, like whatever it is. But I do think that like my name is probably the best representation of who I am. Just Josh. Just Josh Llewellyn. Like, yeah, it's me. I don't know. <laughs> Like, like it indicates that I'm different from everyone else, and mm-hmm. I don't know. Even though that's still kind of reducing down to one thing, right? I I think, I mean, to me, just the main, the whole reason I have been interested in in Sartre and um, or Sartre, and I don't even know how you say his name, mm-hmm. but, uh, is just that. I think a lot of us do just kind of fall into complacency 
of wherever it is that whatever identity we've taken mm-hmm. on and, and we can't even imagine that our lives could be potentially different yeah and it's it's not even that you necessarily have to change anything in your life but having that capacity to imagine your life is different right. i think creates or gives hope i guess mm. <laughs> maybe have you ever watched uh, a good place the good place the good place I haven't. I've heard that it's good. It's really good. I watched um, most of the first season a while back, and then it's one of those shows that like seems kind of slow for a little bit, so I stopped watching, and then someone told me the second season gets really good, so I watched like five or six episodes last night, and it gets, it gets really good. Yeah. But do you know the basic concept? Uh, it's kind of a it's, it's like heaven, right? Yeah, so she, the main character, Eleanor, wakes up, and she's, like, in heaven, more or less. But they call it the good place. Okay. And and so the uh, Michael, the, the angel for the neighborhood, uh, like, walks her through, like, how did we decide, like, when you get here, how you get here? And it's a, it's a calculation based off of, like, all the good and bad things you did throughout your life, and, like, only the cream of the crop make it here. And within the first episode, you learn that she's not supposed to be there. Because uh, she's she like she's not she had the not, same name as the person oh. that was supposed to be there, <laughs> and so and she was just like a crap person on earth, uh-huh. and this other lady was like a huge humanitarian and like did all these things for the UN and like dedicated her life to saving others, and yeah. Eleanor died by like buying margarita mix for one and got run over by shopping carts. Okay, <laughs> and so it's. It's really interesting because they start to pick apart the... It's, it's really accessible to watch, even though yeah. they do delve into some philosophy. Um, she, like, starts to be... She, like, realizes she, like, has to become a better person and she, like, needs to know more. And it really begins to challenge the concept that you are what you do. And that's it. Even though it seems like the place is based off of the idea that like we're in this continual mode of change and yeah because like even her character uh like on earth like never thought of life being any different or any better or doing anything for others or something like that oh sure but it's interesting i think you would think it's interesting yeah i've had several several friends recommend it uh I wonder if it's if it will turn out that it wasn't a mistake at all. You know. Well, I got she, to some twists last night that I I knew one of the twists was coming, and I've heard that there's even more in later seasons. Okay. So. Yeah. It, it gets good. I just saw an article the other day. Actually, this is why I was reminded to watch it. That the newest season is like really challenging. The idea that salvation is works based. Even though that's the impression you get from the first season, uh-huh. that they're saved because of all the good things that they did. Yeah, so I, it can't be that that it was a mistake that she's there. It gets it gets real rabbit holey. Okay, all right. <laughs> it gets good. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, and oh, this is I thought of this actually earlier. This is why I wanted to bring this up because on one of the episodes I watched last night, Michael, the immortal being of the neighborhood um 
they like get him to have an existential crisis because <laughs> <laughs> they're going through some stuff even though they're like in the good place and so they're like learning philosophy with each other and you know bettering themselves in the good place and and uh they ask him a question like is it possible for you to to die like i know that you're immortal but is there any way that you can like not exist and he's like oh yeah like i can be retired like and i just like don't exist and uh, and then he just <laughs> they tell him well just think about that for a second that's like the way we're approaching this angle with like human mortality and he just sits there for a second and then just crumples oh my and gosh the rest of the episode he's just this like shell of an existential <laughs> crisis and then and then like immediately shifts to midlife crisis <laughs> but he like has a lamborghini and he has tan skin and <laughs> oh really <laughs> and uh yeah but uh, that's also an interesting thought and i've thought about that a lot too like whether or not our actions are only motivated by the fact that we're going to die someday, which I think is kind of true, but I don't know if it's like in my own experience, I don't know if that's my only motivator, you know? Yeah. To me, uh, like fear is, is a motivator. Oh yeah. But then there's also something else like that just compels us from like a place of, of, uh, desire mm-hmm. so to me like i'm not sure if this is true but i think that coming to understand our fears and our desires is like kind of the work of a lifetime yeah but uh but like analysis or good good conversations with friends like deep honest conversations with friends things like story night things like cmyk mm-hmm to me are the ways that it that helps to helps me to reflect on my own life and come to understand myself better but mostly that it unveils either unmet desires or mm-hmm. unrealized fears unacknowledged fears yeah i feel like most of it comes out of somehow us concluding that life is meaningful whether or not that's motivated by death or by fear or by just doing what we want, but somehow we arrive at the conclusion that life is meaningful or we can create more meaning. So I think it can be motivated by death, but I think you're right. Like sometimes it is motivated by just fear or desire or. Yeah. Uh, for me, the, like the, the motivating thing, if you really pay attention to the times where you feel like life is profoundly meaningful, mm-hmm. which you have to kind of, you gotta, it, it's kind of tricky because a lot of times these moments happen and then, and then you, you, you know, it's like, well, that was a good day, but then, yeah. but then you don't, you don't realize that that's kind of the stuff that life is made of or that the good life is made of. Like, yeah. so I'm going to intentionally move toward, those kinds of moments and experiences, mm-hmm. you know, like the kind of, the kind of meaningfulness that I sense when I'm say sitting at story night or in mm-hmm. a great conversation with friends or sometimes at a concert, you know, that kind of that feeling there. Mm-hmm. Like the oceanic oneness, that oceanic yeah. oneness. Yeah. yeah. Well, 
it's interesting too because you ever like run across people that just always have bad days Mm -hmm. and like it's the good days that are rare for them yeah and i think that's i i think it's measurably different from clinical depression because that's a whole different thing but like people that like always have things going bad for them yeah versus the flip side like Stuff going like pretty good for us, and then like occasionally having bad days. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if it's because they haven't yet arrived at the conclusion that life is meaningful, and they can move towards more of that. Yeah. Or if it's something else. Okay, so I want to move back towards like when do you sense that life is meaningful? Mm, I think I sense that life is meaningful in the things that I'm a part of. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that I find meaning and create meaning in those. Um, so, uh, how, do you, mm-hmm. how do you feel about, what do you think of this idea? That, like, say with our work, mm-hmm. that work becomes meaningful to us when yeah. we sense that one of two things is happening. That either we're increasing delight yeah. in others or decreasing suffering. I, I think that can be accurate. Um and I think it's maybe when we don't see those necessarily is when we don't find meaning in our work. I was just listening to a podcast yesterday and it, it briefly touched on this. Um, but the, the interviewee was talking about, um, Oh, they were briefly talking about like disembodied minds and also God and also work. And so, one of the guys brought up who's who used to be an ordained pastor, I think, or he still is. Uh, he brought up that this lady in his congregation, uh, who was a some sort of biologist, and her main job was like going around to uh, different ecological sites and testing the water and like getting samples. Um, and she she didn't see how that like added to um, like her. How did they word it? Like, she didn't see how that contributed to God Mm -hmm. at all, or, like, had any meaning to God versus, oh, here's what it was, here's what it was. Um, The the interviewee pointed out that he really takes it for granted that he has a job that he feels like he was called by God to do. And they're like, that's something he knows, right? But sometimes he just takes it for granted that he really feels like God called him to have this specific occupation writing books and theologizing and teaching and Mm. being with people. And, and so this lady brought up that like, she didn't feel that specific call. Like she didn't feel like she was doing God's work. Yeah. Um, and so she like felt like a little bit of a, a loss of meaning there, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he brought it up to her, like trying to reframe it. Like, well, do you believe that God knows everything? She's like, well, yeah. And well, do you believe that, like, he knows what you're trying to find. Like, he knows, like, the pHs and the measurements of all of those samples that you're taking. She's like, well, well yeah, he, he knows everything, of course. And so he, he, like, reframed it more or less as, like, what? wow. So your job is to, like, try to figure out the mind of God every day. Mm-hmm. And that just, like, blew her away. Like, to, like, reframe the meaning of what she's doing. Yeah. Um, as something that is known, A, and something that is known by 
the creator and that she's like figuring out what is known by the creator. Sure. And I just think it's so interesting to like constantly reframe and reinterpret what we're doing and why we're doing it. And yeah. um, like giving more meaning to the same actions. Cause like that's, that's not really going to change her actions in her job, right? Like she's still going to make the same measurements, but all of a sudden she finds more meaning in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully that can last. Mm-hmm. Um, in, yeah, we, we better wrap this up here pretty soon, but I do want to make, I, I do, I, I'd say hopefully that can last mm-hmm. because I, I think, um, I think it is really hard when we are, um, when the work that we do is distant from, mm. um, being from the consumer that mm-hmm. the the end user of, of whatever it is that, that we're doing mm-hmm. um, yeah when it's not immediately gratifying yeah so yeah, like to me absolutely you know like my brother works at a restaurant and you know he he washes dishes and and uh, and cooks mm-hmm. and takes food out to the customer sometimes and takes food back mm-hmm. but he like more than anybody that that I know really loves his job. Yeah. And I would say that he's able to sense those two things that he, yeah. especially that he's increasing delight for other people, mm-hmm. for the customers, but also for his coworkers. Mm-hmm. So when you are working in a solo occupation, like being an artist, mm-hmm. um, like it's a little harder. You don't have as much of that, of that, feedback on a regular basis of like, Hey man, thanks. Like, right. I really loved, I really appreciate your efforts here. Right. You know, that's why I feel, I, I think that I get really drawn toward doing, doing things like story night or I, I end mm-hmm. up having way more just sit down conversations, deep conversations with people mm-hmm. because, because I can sense that like I find delight in a delightful conversation and right. and that it helps the other person to actually have somebody who really listens to them too. Right. So I can sense that no, what I did with my day was important, even though I did, I accomplished really nothing. Right. Um, on, you know, a product. Like business wise. Yeah. 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 But, um, but how much more did you accomplish relationally and emotionally? I definitely, yeah. even though I've done very little over the past like month or so, uh-huh. um, you know, in terms of painting, mm-hmm. um, just like work that I could point to and say mm-hmm. I did that, I would say that I could probably die like tomorrow and, and kind of feel okay mm-hmm. about it because I've had a lot of great conversations with friends mm-hmm. lately and just and and time alone by myself reflecting on on things too. Mm-hmm. Right? But that's interesting that you bring up your brother because I've definitely noticed that in my own job that I love the immediate gratification of you come here because you want the thing, you pay me to make the thing, I make the thing, yeah. I give you the thing. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Immediately I, gratifying. I think same with like Lenny working at the coffee shop. Like, oh, yeah. That's, I, I do, I mean, when I worked on the Off the Leaf tour, that was probably the happiest that I've ever been. Like, yeah. Yeah. Because there's a reason all these academics keep becoming baristas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah but and that's kind of the problem i mean this is 
it really it's Marx that points out that idea that work becomes meaningful when we sense that our jobs do one of those two things, increase delight or decrease suffering. Mm -hmm. He says, you know, with capitalism, um, you get, you get the introduction of, of high productivity of just, of how can we be more and more productive? Right. How can we, and, and so you get things like you get, uh, you know, Ford um, creating the assembly line so that he can make a thousand cars in one day versus, um, so you have, Ten. you have like a thousand workers all doing small specialized jobs. <clears throat> one worker just does the same task over and over and over again. Right. But, but they're not able to, at the end of the day, point to like, I made a, the thing. Yeah, a mm -hmm. thing that they're like, yeah, I made that. They, I mean, you can, but you have to do more mental gymnastics, right? Which to me, that's why I say that's why I'm skeptical of. That's beautiful that that pastor was able to help reframe that job for the biologist, right? But I still think that that's like a form of mental gymnastics that he himself is able to get some kind of immediate gratification. From helping her to re oh, yeah, to reframe that thing, right? So he's closer to like. There's no wonder why he is able to continue in his work and maybe not go through the kinds of existential crises. Yeah, that you know maybe somebody that has a harder or there's more distance and more mental gymnastics that they have to go through before they're able to really sense that what they're doing mm. brings. Uh, joy or reduces suffering in others. I think we would be, I, I think we would be borderline foolish if we weren't continuously evaluating why we do what we do. Hmm. Like, why am I still at this job? I know I can leave this job. Why am I still here? What am I doing? Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that you should always leave your job if you feel unsatisfied. But I think that we should always be asking ourselves those questions. It and even outside of employment, too. Yeah, probably same in a relationship. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Why am I still with this person? Mm -hmm. Because if you're asking that question, then then you're at least looking for the good, mm -hmm. hopefully. Or or if it's like super horrible, you get you you leave it. Right. But by asking that question, I think hopefully, yeah, you have you ever heard of this uh, Twitter account called Existential Comics? I don't have Twitter. Oh, you don't have Twitter. I know they've. I know that. Um, <laughs> they had this tweet the other day that <laughs> that I thought of during this conversation, and uh, it goes, "You've got to hand it to capitalism, convincing everyone that freedom meant obeying your boss or starving was a pretty incredible achievement." I mean, it, like it definitely made me chuckle when I read it, but like, I think he's obviously getting at kind of the same thing we're getting at. Mm-hmm. Um, that like if we're not if we're not thinking about like giving serious thought to what we're doing and that we have the freedom to choose to a certain extent. Yeah. I do want to make the point that even though I talked about Marx a little bit there, I'm you're no, a Marxist. I'm, I'm not. Oh, you're a Marxist. I'm not a communist. <laughs> uh -huh. Oh, oh, you're a socialist. Oh, okay. 
I don't, I don't even know. So this is interesting Here, too. Here's, oh. here's the thing is I don't even know what I am. I just want to know there it is. the, I want to know the best critiques of an idea. So, which Marx, I think gives, it's worth knowing mm-hmm. he's, you know, he gives the best critique of capitalism. Sure, it's yeah. worth knowing that so that Absolutely. we don't fall into um, on individual yeah. level, like the kinds of things that he warns people uh, that this is, you know, this is the kind of like despair and sadness that a whole bunch of people are going to fall into mm-hmm. because of capitalism. Like it's worth yeah. knowing why he believes that. Should we start and end this conversation with church? Sure, I'm going to go grab my other cup of coffee. Oh, okay, please do, yeah. Can I keep talking while you yep. do that? Yeah, please. My my church community, uh, this last Sunday, the pastor was preaching on uh, like what it means to be a church community and how it should look. So he mostly was pulling from Acts chapter 2, like the beginning of the early Christian church and like what it looked like and that they were like selling all their possessions and holding everything <laughs> in common yeah. and... Um, they just gave to anyone who had need and they like made meals in everyone's houses and they were meeting together every day. Um, and he expanded off of that and like talked about other things, but it got me thinking about that passage and how a lot of, I think it's really common for a lot of pastors to point to that those beginnings as almost utopian, uh, but very few pastors would prescribe oh yeah we should all sell our possessions i don't think anyone would do that except maybe a pastor who's like confident in feeling socialist Hmm. but like because it got me thinking like okay what what parts of this passage are just descriptive describing like what was happening and what parts are meant to be prescriptive telling us what to do and so i don't know i've I've been jumbling that around in my head the last couple days yeah uh, what what does it mean to be a community well, uh, even in light of things like capitalism and us having different jobs and us having different like points of meaning yeah. throughout our lives? Yeah. My, my thoughts on that lately have been um, a little bit around the idea of like, what does the kingdom of God look like? Mm-hmm. And I, I think... I'd have to, you know, go back and and read a lot more in the in the scriptures to probably back this up some more. But I I think that a lot of it has to do with like, do you find yourself in community and friendships mm-hmm. in which you are able to be completely open and honest about the struggles of your life, mm-hmm. the shortcomings of of your life? Can you actually do do the the work of the, that they call us to right. confess your sins one to another. Right. Do you do you sense that you know that you can be completely open and honest about that? Mm-hmm. That to me is, I mean, something I would say that CMYK does do a pretty good job of. Like a couple of years ago, you know, I kind of did a stupid thing and <laughs> like this kitchen sink broke and I tried to fix it with like hair ties (laughs) what yeah and so the refrigerator also was happening to leak some water onto the floor so the whole floor 
back there got yeah. got ruined. Ooh. So, you know, with the landlord, it was like, okay, who's going to pay for this? Is this is this a fault on on the tenant or or uh, does homeowners insurance cover you know this several thousand dollar fix? And there was you know several weeks there where it was like up in the air. Ooh. And it was at a time where, oh, like the idea of forking over another couple thousand dollars to do something to fix something mm. was just weighing on me so much. And mm. like I went to Matt at CMYK and just was like, this is the, <laughs> this, is, I, I'm under a lot of stress right now. I, I have a lot of, huh. I'm carrying a lot of weight yeah. over this issue. And he just like kind of put his arm around me and it's like, you know, if it's, uh, if it's money that is needed to fix this job, we're behind you. We'll we'll be there for you if it's manpower um, that's needed to replace the floor. We'll, um, you know, there's six or seven guys here who mm-hmm. are carpenters and stuff, and like we'll we'll come together. And we got you. Yeah. I don't know that there's a lot of communities where people really can shed their kind of Facebook. Uh, perfectly curated image yeah and say here's the real stuff i'm going through yeah you know in a church anyways i think in friendships with other people maybe Mm -hmm. but in those friendships there's not a lot of times a uh a reserve of funds that can really help out somebody or you know uh a commitment of like if somebody's needing in some way we're we're here for each other right i think um like maybe the kingdom of god is i'm just watching some homeless people the other day mm-hmm. push each other like push each other around in one person pushing the other person in a wheelchair mm-hmm. and you know stopping somebody like me or like you on the street to go hey my like i don't have anything in my friend my friend uh here need something and of course you know maybe they're just using the money for drugs and alcohol but right but that kind of connectedness that they and friendship that they have for each other yeah that um that they would push each other down the sidewalk that they're there together like making sure that the other person has a place to stay making sure um you know that that there's always this like does this other person have what they need kind of thing that doesn't have to happen. Like you don't have to be poor to have that kind of a relationship. Right. But I think when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, that is a, it's that relationship between the people that he's talking about that could happen at any level of society. Right. Economically. But, but I think that for the most part, we, we don't do a good job of that. Yeah, because my pastor was even like touching on stuff like that yesterday, or Sunday, excuse me. Um, like pulling out from verses uh, where Jesus says, like, you, people will know who you are by how you love each other and yeah. how you depend on each other. Yeah. So I was thinking a lot about like, what does it mean to be an interdependent community and what does it mean to be interdependent 
in front of others and not being isolated as well. Because he was really harping on, like, you shouldn't be isolated. It's not good for you. Yeah. And you should be dependent on others. Yeah. Um, so I was really mulling that over a lot, too. Yeah, I think you're right about the the kingdom, those kingdom points. Okay, well, we're like right at about an hour here, just a little under. So that's okay. Uh, People won't hear this part anyway. So they'll. I mean, who listens to this past fifteen minutes, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not me. Actually, it's been a while since I've listened to the podcast. I've I've not listened to the new Lonely Painter episodes. I should. Sure, if you want to, I don't care. <laughs> I'll get my I'll get my roommate connection through that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, maybe next week I'll talk about art. I've got some ideas on. Oh, you didn't even um, talk about art this whole episode. I haven't talked mm. about art in. I don't know if I if I have ever really talked much about art myself. on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm always talking about. Well, I mean, you have to start somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. You'll get to art someday, Tyler. I do want to, uh, so I want to talk about, I want to try to answer the question in future episodes, uh, the question of what is art for? Mm. And, uh, do you think that's a question you're still answering? Yeah. Yeah. But I've, but I've come across some really good answers to that question that, that are really inspiring to me. Do you think any one of them is correct? Uh, no, but but you <laughs> could pick you could pick one of them, and run with it. Yeah. Um, for a while, and then you could move to another another idea. What is art for? So, like, just one quick one that I think is really key, or that resonates with me, with a lot of the different work that I'm doing this podcast story night mm-hmm. um, and then I'm trying to bring it into my paintings although it's a hard I have to do the mental gymnastics to, right. to figure it out but it's just it's the idea that art can can help us to feel a little less lonely mm-hmm. and there's you know certain artists like that um, you know people like Van Gogh especially I would say mm-hmm in seeing his loneliness, mm-hmm. we realize that, oh, you know, I'm not the only one. Yeah. I think I've always felt that art is meant to teach us. And I think especially the last, like, year or so, it's really been pointed out to me how much art is unoriginal in the sense that it's usually playing off of something else that's been created. Mm. Like, whether that's the biblical stories, yep. parodying, yep. parodying? parodying, mm-hmm. making parody of existing creation myths yep. or existing cultural narratives and playing off of them and like reversing them or whether it's uh, a modern artist portraying some historical figure who's always been depicted a certain way and depicting them in a different way. And I, don't, I feel like that's been like so highlighted to me the last more recent times I've been thinking about that. Oh, cool. And, well, and different uh, art forms. I think that applies to so many different art forms. Yeah. To, to wrap it up, what do you think of like this idea of that art, basically that art is a container, that, it, mm. you know, that we forget important truths all the time. Mm. But if you somehow put 
these important truths into a song, mm -hmm. into a play, into a movie or a painting, that is something that we can keep coming back to mm -hmm. time and time again and, and be reminded of. Especially for the creator, I think. Yeah. Um, because then all of a sudden you're externalizing something you've been thinking about. Oh, sure. You know, okay. so then it becomes like a tangible reminder. Yep. Yep. And it's not just like floating around in your head somewhere. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. I think it also creates that reminder for other people too. And can even be a reminder for things unintended by the artist. Okay, cool. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the podcast. And uh... First roommate on the podcast. First guest on the Lonely Painter podcast. Someday maybe we'll talk about the villain's beat. Oh yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I mean we could someday. Unless you want to remain anonymous. No, I, it's not that hard to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. We'll we'll end it there. Thanks for listening, everybody. Be good to yourselves.